0: going to read from John chapter 1 this morning. Uh, John 1 verses 1 to 14. Um, I think it's page 886 of the Pew Bible. If I'm wrong, someone can maybe shout out. uh, I think it's 886 if the Pew Bible in front of you. The words will be on the screens before you. It's John chapter 1 verse 1 to 14. Is it 886? 886 of the Pew Bible. Let's read John chapter one, verses one to 14. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. May God bless us the reading of his holy word. These are some of the probably more challenging verses that we read around Christmas time and in the Advent season. There's a lot of um, kind of rich theology that we, we come across. And we're going to spend some time this morning thinking about light to the world. And uh, we've been thinking about this, uh, this kind of Christmas sermon series. Uh, we thought about peace to the world, we thought about hope to the world. And this morning we're thinking about light to the world. We spent some time last week looking at how Matthew began his gospel account, and he did it by looking at the genealogy of Jesus. And by doing this, he shows the legitimacy of, of Jesus that he had that, um, he came from an, a, a kingly line, that in his ancestors, we see King David, we have Judah, we have the, these um, Old Testament prophecies that are, are pulled out by the mentioning of their names. So when we read through the, the who uh, Jesus's uh, relations were, we shouldn't be surprised then that this is the Messiah, that he has come and he has been born into this family off this line who has Judah and who also has King David. About this promise that God had given King David that that he would, his ancestor would have a, a, a kingdom that would know no end, and we, I think, see a similar way in John's gospel. I think it's really fascinating how the the gospel writers begin their gospel, and, and actually, there, there's something in each of them about how they begin. I think that reveals something of importance to us and in a similar way I think it's okay for me to say that where Matthew showed us the the earthly genealogy of Jesus John shows us in the beginning of his gospel account the heavenly perspective of Jesus relationships. Matthew shows us the earthly relationships that Jesus had, who his father was, who his grandfather was, who his great-grandfather was, who his great-great-grandmother was. And he shows us the relationships on the earthly side of things that Jesus had. But John here shows us a different perspective and, and he shows us in this window into who Jesus is by showing us this aspect of Jesus' nature. And by saying that, I mean his divinity. His divinity. In a way, John teases out at the beginning of his gospel account how Jesus is Emmanuel, how Jesus is God with us. And he shows us this through this really rich theological uh, introduction at the beginning of his gospel account. John begins in verse 1 by stating that in the beginning was the Word. Now, if you know your Old Testament and if you've grown up in Sunday school, that should be setting off some reminding uh, uh, bells in your head. About, there's another t- part of the Bible that, that reads like that, and actually it's Genesis chapter 1, that in the beginning, and then so on, so forth. And just as in Genesis 1, we see the, the, the creation narrative in the beginning, God created. What I think we could maybe say is that John here, through some sort of parallel, and he's made, he's tr- I think he's trying to remind us of Genesis 1, and, and what John is showing us at the beginning of his gospel, we could maybe say is like the beginning of the new creation, of God's redemption plan being birthed into this world. We have the inauguration of God's kingdom about to come. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then in the beginning was the word, John says in John chapter 1, verse 1. And I think what John is showing us here is he's showing us that in this moment where Jesus came to earth, there's something new that's happened. God's redemption plan has now been outworked. There is a new kingdom that has come. In the beginning, John says, was the word john 1 verse 1 okay so let's pause here for a few moments because this can be a bit confusing was the word and was with god and the word was god so what is going on here in john chapter 1 verse 1 when john says the word and you see that word has a capital w he is meaning jesus That's what he means here when he says, in the beginning was the word. He is referring to Jesus. How do we know that? Verse 14 of John chapter 1. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the son of God. In the beginning was Jesus So when he mentions word here, he is referring to Jesus Christ. Hopefully that begins to bring some sort of um, clarity to this. I know it's still really confusing for some of us. But but here John is speaking, when he speaks about the word, he's speaking about Jesus. So why does he refer to Jesus as the word? Why does he not say the Son of God, or the second person of the Trinity, or, or Jesus? Why does he refer to him as the Word? Well, it's a good question. It's one, I think, that scholars have wrestled with for some time. But we also see this name attributed to Jesus Christ in Revelation as well. In chapter 19, where it says, He is clothed in a robe dripped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Word here, when John says, in the beginning was the word, when he uses that word, word, it's logos. And by doing this, the word logos, when it's normally used in in Greek, it it refers to a spoken word or um, some sort of message. So why does John call Jesus the Word? And here is my tuppenceworth, my really big simplification of these huge ideas. Why does John call Jesus the Word? If Word is meaning and normally refers to spoken Word. Well, in Genesis again, we see in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it says, God said let there be light. God said, God spoke. So even in Genesis, we see the Trinity present where we have, we see the Word, we see God the Father, we see the Spirit hovering over the face of the deep, we see the Trinity present in that. We see here as well the Trinity present in the Christmas story where we have the Father sending his Son. And how does the Son come? We thought about it last Sunday morning through the activity of the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary. He, Jesus didn't have an earthly father. It was through the the, the the activity of the Holy Spirit. So we see the Trinity present as well within the Nativity. It's just simply mind-blowing. It's Honestly, it, it, we could spend thousands and thousands of years trying to understand this but the beauty of it is is that what we have is that God who is three in one because of his love for us and we were lost visited us because we were lost in sin and he wanted relationship with us so why does John call Jesus the word Well, friends, this is why I think, because the spoken promises and the word of God become a physical reality in the person of Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of the truth of God. And all the promises of God we read are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. He is the literal and physical personification of the truth of God. That's why Jesus could say, I am the way and the truth. He is the embodiment of the truth of God. That's why Jesus says that those who have seen me have seen the Father. That's why the Bible says that Jesus is the visible representation of our invisible God. He is the, persona- the physical personification of the word and the truth of God. God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus. The word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And John wants us to know at the very beginning of his gospel account... He wants us to know and to understand of the one that we're about to, if we continued reading through John's gospel, and we see this one who turned water into wine, who met a woman at the well, who washed disciples' feet, who healed the sick, who healed, gave sight to the blind, he made the lame to walk. He wants us to know that this person that we're about to read of in his gospel account, that he has always been. That he is God incarnate. He is Emmanuel. It's a pretty awesome introduction. Look at the introduction that John gives. I think blows all other introductions way out of the water. This is Jesus. The word made flesh. And the word was with God in the beginning. The word was God. And he's always been. And this is what John is doing. This is his main point. He is showing us here and he's testifying to the pre-existence of Jesus. That Jesus was not created. It's John's big point here is that the one that we read in the other gospel accounts that the was laid in a manger who was visited by wise men and we know the story that That baby that we read of, that baby that we celebrate, that actually, yes, he donned flesh, but he's always been. That's why we sing in O Come All Ye Faithful, God of God, Light of Light. Lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb, very God, begotten, not created. How is that even possible? It's possible because in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. John here is proclaiming that Jesus is God. Not a demigod. Not a diet God. He is the real thing. He is God. God incarnate. God who took on flesh as we thought about last week. Born not of an earthly father because he was begotten. He was not created. He's begotten through the activity of the Holy Spirit. And John is telling us that this baby born in the manger in Bethlehem who's wrapped in swaddling clothes is none other than the Son of God incarnate. This man you are about to read off if you carried on through John's gospel like I said who washed feet who met a woman at the well that he is the creator of the universe he is the eternal and majestic God who's come to earth in the form of man he has been made flesh and to show us this John builds this parallel, I think, between Genesis 1 and John chapter 1. Why? Well, I hope to show you a wee reason I think that is, and it all surrounds this concept of light. Why have we spent so much time engaging with this deep theology this morning? Uh, I want us to see that who this light is, who this light is, the world is. It's not any second-class light that God has sent, but God came himself. And this light, we read of the light that has come to the world, is the brightest, most radiant, most pure light that was possible. Listen to these words from Genesis 1 verse 1 to 3. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. Why did God say let there be light? Because there was darkness that hovered over the face of the deep. So just as when God, who has always existed, he's always been without beginning or end, when he created the heavens and the earth, he saw that there was darkness in Genesis chapter 1. What did he do? He brought the remedy. He spoke and said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And friends, the same God, when he looked out over his creation, after Genesis 3, When sin entered the world, although there was a sun and there was stars and there was physical light, what he saw when he looked over the face of this universe was darkness, a spiritual darkness, spiritual death because of sin. And what did this same God who has always existed, who brought light in Genesis chapter 1, when there was darkness over the face of the deep, what did this same God do who's always been and who through all things were made? Well, John tells us, the Word became flesh. Why? Because there was darkness in and over this world. And we read that the word who became flesh in verse chapter 4, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines, verse 5, in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a problem with darkness in Genesis chapter 1. So God said, let there be light. And what we have in John chapter 1, there's a different type of problem of darkness. There's the problem of sin and there's spiritual darkness. So what did this same God who's always been, what did he do? He became flesh and he brought light to this world. By the word becoming flesh. He came into the world to bring light and that life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness shall not overcome it. Friends for light to come into the world we first have to understand that there was darkness and it fits and relates to what we were saying last week where we need a savior. Why? Because of the problem of sin. We needed light friends. Why? Because there's a problem of darkness that we were in. And what verse 4 teaches us in him was life, and the life was the light of men. That the light didn't belong to us. The light is not ours. That what our experience was, was one of darkness. That actually the light was external to our experience. What we were, what we knew, was darkness. That's what surrounded us. And what we see in another passage of scripture that often is read around Christmas time is Isaiah chapter nine, verses one and two. And Isaiah in 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 chapter eight of of Isaiah, what he shows us is this problem of darkness that his people were physically in and and God uses this experience that happened in Isaiah's day to spiritually prophesy and to point forward to the Messiah who would come because Isaiah's contemporaries when they were living they turned from from God they were living in sin they were living against God and his word and and they'd actually rejected God's ways and they started to seek uh, other ways to communicate with the dead and they were going after mediums and sorcerers and necromancers they'd come Completely rejected God, then they were living in such darkness. They turned their back completely on Him, and they rejected His ways. But friends, we know from last week that there is hope for the world. There's hope for this dark world. And Isaiah, even though in chapter eight, if you read it, is really gloomy and really dark, and it's really um, it looks think things are really, really bad. But here we have in Isaiah chapter 9, this glimpse of hope once again. We'll read just from verse 2 because time's marching on. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And that was true for Isaiah's contemporaries and in Isaiah's day. But friends, it was much bigger and, and much better light coming. And that light was Jesus himself. The second person of the Trinity, the Word made flesh. And even in that phrase, light has shone, light has shone on them, light has shone. Friends, it shows us again that this light is external to us. Friends, you cannot do it by yourself. We needed an outside agency to step in. The problem was darkness and the only solution to the problem of darkness is light. And that light is found in God himself, the word made flesh, Emmanuel. A light that the darkness shall not and cannot overcome. And friends, for those of you who know the light of Jesus in your life, you know that when you accept Jesus and you accept his light, that that light of life, you know that it changes everything in you. You know, it changes your complete perspective and outlook on life. I wondered if you've ever heard of a man from Glasgow called John Harper. I came across John Harper this week. Online, I must add, because he's not alive anymore. And John Harper was a pre- preacher and a pa- pastor in Glasgow who had ex- accepted the invitation from a church in Chicago to go and preach and the invitation was extended for him to become their new pastor over there. John Harper was a widower and he traveled to America with his daughter who was I think about six years old. And John Harper and his daughter traveled to America aboard the Titanic. And when the Titanic hit the iceberg, John handed his daughter over to the lifeboats. And with him being a widower, actually John could have boarded the lifeboats with his daughter. But he forsook his place in the boat and further wanted to take the opportunity to provide the masses on the sinking boat with one more opportunity to know the light of Jesus Christ. And Harper could be heard shouting, women, children, and unsaved, into the lifeboats. And at one point, he was rebuffed uh, by a man. And to this hostile man, Harper took off his own life vest and said to the man, you need this more than I do. Friends, because even when you look like you're in a dark situation, if you have the light of Jesus in your life, the darkness cannot overcome the light that you have. And as the boat went down, hundreds were in the water. And Harper was seen swimming to as many people as was physically possible. And he could be heard offering Christ and saying, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And as Harper, as the passengers floated in the water with the Titanic having sunk, Harper came across a man crying. And Harper asked him, Are you saved? And this man said, no. Harper said, we'll believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The man then drifted away. But then shortly, Harper ended up swimming back up to this man and realized it was the same man that he'd already offered Jesus to, who'd said no when he asked him, was he saved? So Harper asked him, are you saved yet? The man said, no, honestly, I cannot, I can say I cannot, uh, I can honestly say I am not saved. Harper said to him again, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And a few moments later, Harper sank under the water and passed away. This man was later saved by one of the rescue boats and four years later at a Titanic survivors meeting group in Ontario, one survivor tested to Harper having swam up to him twice asking if he was saved. And that man said, shortly after Harper went down, and there alone in the water, and with two miles of water under me, I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the man said, I am John Harper's last convert. Friends, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. And friends, I pray that you are never in the position that John Harper's last convert was awaiting rescue in water, having been on a sinking boat. But friends, if you do not know Christ this morning, you are lost in darkness. But the Christmas story tells us that God himself, the word made flesh, the true light of life He has come into this dark world and he offers light. Jesus would later say in John chapter 8, these words, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And beloved of Christ, if you walk with Jesus and trust in him and you have been saved by him, know this this day that no matter how hard things get in your life, no matter how dark it looks out there, that the darkness will never overcome the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, and that the one you trust in reigns victorious. Friends, our light, the light of this world, is a triumphant light, and the darkness will never defeat it, and can never overcome it. And here is my challenge to you this day, Sandy Hills Parish Church. Firstly, if you are in darkness and you don't know Jesus, come to him this morning. He is the light of this world, and he has come so that you can know light and know life and know salvation from the freedom and forgiveness of your sins. But if you do walk with Jesus this morning, friends, surely Jesus came for more than us to just sit under a good and nice sermon. The light coming into the world absolutely is spiritual and it gives us spiritual freedom and spiritual truth and spiritual hope. But the spiritual impact that this have must be seen in practical and tangible ways. Clothing the naked feeding the hungry praying for the sick so we believe friends that jesus is the light to this world and the light of this world so where does the rubber meet the road then what does that mean practically for us in this place How does the Christmas story that we believe to be good news, how does it um, change people's lives? How does it change your life here? Not just your eternity, but this day, right here, right now. How does Jesus, being the light of this world, and the light to the world, and the hope of the world, and the peace of the world, how does that change your existence here and now? For Jesus did say that he was the light of the world, but he also said, friends, that you are the light of the world and friends we have to shine for him there are people in our community really struggling really really struggling i came across a wee girl this week who didn't own a jacket about three or four streets from where we're standing right now not on another continent not across the world not in an advert you're going to see in your telly but in the east end of glasgow how does jesus being the light of the world and light to the world impact that we girl friends we have to go and shine the light of jesus christ because there's people in dire need there are people who are struggling And my prayer is that Sandy Hills Parish Church, that you will be a beacon of hope, a beacon of light. As you shine for Jesus, people would see you and go, there must be more to life than this. What is that peace that they have? What is that hope that they have? What is that light that they have? And friends, we are simply signposts. Amigo, it's nothing to do with us but it's all because of him and it's all for him. Friends, let us shine for Jesus in this dark world and may his glory cover the east end of Glasgow. As we approach the end of this year and as a new year is on the horizon, friends, let us begin to pray that as Habakkuk once said, The glory of God would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Lord, let it be so. Would your glory cover the east end of Glasgow? And may we see young and old come to Jesus. And may your light, because you are the word made flesh, may it shine in the darkness. And friends, this world looks very dark at this moment. But I promise you this. The darkness will never overcome the light. Why? Because the light... Is the word made flesh the son of god emmanuel god with us let us pray lord we know how dark this world can seem when we turn the news on and we see people struggling and we hear stories about kids not having jackets and minus weather lord and Our heart breaks, but we thank you, God, that we are not redundant, that we have the answer. That, Jesus, you are the light of this world, and you are light to this world. That you have shone in the darkness, that we who walked in great darkness have seen your great light. And, Father, we pray that as we follow you, as we live our lives for you,